1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 15. This is our favorite passage in this entire Bible. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, we want to give you praise and thanks for the word. Thank you that we have the sacred scriptures, the authoritative word of God, to help us to know how we walk, or supposed to walk and live, in this dark world. Thank you that you are a gracious and merciful Father, that you give us instructions and warnings and, and, and verses to encourage us as well and build us up in Christ. But thank you for the, the warnings. Thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's there to guide us in a way that we can live pleasing and honouring to your name. Help us, Father. Help us now as we come to this passage to listen to what you have to say to us through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, do a great work in our hearts. Convict us of our sin. Convict us of our, our worldliness that is in our hearts. Have mercy upon us. Forgive us if we find ourselves loving the world more than loving you, Father. Have mercy upon us. But thank you again that you are a gracious and merciful Father. Thank you for Jesus, that even like this morning we can celebrate his death and do it in remembrance of what he accomplished for us on the cross. But thank you now for this passage. Be merciful, be gracious to me and all of us as we listen. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a very humbling passage and I think it's also a serious warning about what John has to say to us as he writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I think we, as we come to this passage, we need to examine our hearts and ask ourselves as Christians how much of the world is in us. Obviously there will be a little bit of the world because we are fallen and we are tainted with sin. But how much of the world is in us and how much of God and Father is in us? Or basically I can ask you the question, do I love the world more than I love God, my Father? I think we underestimate how much of the world is actually in the church. And John the Apostle, hearing about what's going on in the lives of, of these folk, brings us up a very severe warning. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, does that mean you can't have a house, a car, you can't go on holiday? Well, we'll see what this all means as we work our way through this passage. But the question is, do we love 
the world. We must not love the world. And we're going to see why as we work through this passage. Maybe over the next two, three Sundays, I don't know. But I don't think it's a passage that we should skim over and entertain ourselves. I think it's a passage to see what John really means by not loving the world. But let's see what he means by the word world. I think that's important to get a grasp of what does he mean by the, the word world. While well, we know that in John 3.16, he wrote there, God so loved the world. What does he mean by that? Well, there the world, the word world means fallen sinful humanity. And God so loved the world, God has loved the world, those that he's going to call out of the world. But here in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, the word world has a darker meaning. It stands for everything that hates God's truth. And let's remember he's writing to Christians. And there are Christians that hate God's truth. So it's not, don't always think there's, there's the church and there's the world. There are people that are in the church who profess to be Christian, but they're still in the world. And they still follow the things of the world instead of submitting to God and His Word and, and, and Lordship salvation and walking with God. So it's everything that, everything that hates God's truth, does not recognize Jesus as, and His teachings, and hates the people who follow Jesus. A quote, lovely quote from one of the commentaries. It means the world that has abandoned its creator and lives apart from his rule. It is the godless world that is totally at variance with God and his will. Yes, that could look at the world itself, but there are Christians who are also godless. There are Christians who just don't care how they live, but they will say they're a Christian. They will keep on sinning, and that's what John was talking about in chapter 1. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. People, some people think if they say, they can just live as they please. So, if we look at the world... It's basically everything that is opposed to God's truth and Jesus and his teachings and also the people who love Jesus genuinely and sincerely. Jesus' brother James also reminds us in his letter in James chapter 4 verse 4 that friendship with the world is hatred towards God. It's very difficult to be friends with the world and God simultaneously. Obviously, we, we have friends in the world that are ungodly. But the question is, do you submit to their ways of living? Are they confused when they see you? But if you're a Christian, why do you talk like this and then you live like that? Christians shouldn't be confused. Look at the vaccination. We shouldn't be confused about the vaccination as Christians. The world should be confused. 
We need to be in the Scriptures. We need to be in the Scriptures so that we are not conformed to this world, but we are transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We should be in the Scriptures so that we can set our minds on the things above and not on the things on earth. And this passage was challenging to my own heart and to my own life to see how much of the world do I actually still hold on to? And how much of God my Father do I embrace and hold on to? This passage is such an important passage. It's a strong warning that we must not love the world. But we can be careful we don't become like the monks and try and withdraw from the world and we go live far away in secluded homes and we pull ourselves out the world. That's not what this passage is telling us. Jesus in his high priestly prayer in um, chapter 17 verse 14 I've given them your word, and the word is the word. Sorry, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What a privilege it is to know that. Jesus intercedes for us and he's asked his heavenly father to, to, to look after us. We, we're in the world. We live in the world. But it's how we live. Are we living as salt and light? Are we living godly lives? I think it was Lloyd-Jones that finds it very strange when someone would come up to him and say to him, you know, I was in the, in the shops. And I bumped into this person. And what a friendly person. I'm quite sure they were a Christian. They were so nice and they were, they were so kind. I, I wonder if they were a Christian. And he said, well, we either know if someone's a Christian or not. And we're going to get to the letter where, where John says, test the spirit. If you think someone's a Christian, why don't you say, you know, you're such a kind person. Can I ask you a question? Do you have Jesus in your heart? Or do you know Jesus? Then you'll see exactly who, who's in their heart. They might go, hallelujah, yes. Or they might say, no, I'm just a kind, nice person. There, you can actually not, maybe I'm wrong here, and I'm sorry if I say this, but it's very difficult to distinguish the church from the world today. And John, he wouldn't just put this here for the sake of just letting us know. It's, it's in this church. It's in the lives of these people. Do not love the world or the things in the world. This is a command not to love the world. That's the whole point of this passage. It's easy to love the world. You know why it's easy to love the world? Because we see the things that go on in front of us. And it's harder to love the Father because we cannot see Him. We are attracted, attracted to the things we see. We all seem to gravitate towards what we can see. Sometimes we think that we can love the world a little bit 
After all, what's, what's wrong with it? Come on. And all I want to do this morning is to, is to give us two things, and we won't get through all of them, or both of them. We'll get through probably one and a half, because in the first thing there are quite a few things to look at as well. But here are two things from this passage to warn us in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 7, to not love the world. And the first thing to warn us to not love the world is what the world does to us. Which we see now in verses 15 to 16 of 1 John chapter 2. What the world does to us. Do we know what the world does to us if we love the world? It does exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and money. He cannot serve the world, love the world and serve the Father and love the Father. You're going to despise the one. And, and to, to, to love the world, all you're going to do is you're going to push God out of your heart, God the Father. But the more you love God the Father, the more you push the world out of your heart. That is why we have to be in the Scriptures. We either listen to them, or we read them so that we can saturate our hearts and our minds with God's Word so we may not sin against God. And it's a hard process. It's an everyday process. There's no room for loving the world and loving the Father for these two things. There's no room for these two things in our hearts. Because the problem with loving the world is really a heart problem. It's not what we put into our mouths that make us wicked and evil. It's what comes out of a person is what defiles him. This is what Jesus tells his disciples in Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 20 to 23. And Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. And if our Father is in our hearts and we love Him and we love His Son and we love the Holy Spirit and we love His Word and we're using His Word to sanctify us, we will see less of these things in our heart and coming from our heart, like envy, like coveting, like slander, like pride, like foolishness and evil thoughts, etc. Someone said, loving the world does not lie in the things we do or in places we frequent. It lies in the human heart, in a set of human affections and attitudes. I think it's so important that we get this passage. That this passage is not saying 
that the world God has made is bad. He's saying the way we relate to what God made can be bad. How we treat these things. I could put, just say, a 500 rand on that table and get 10 different people to use it. And everybody will use it differently. Some will use it for good, some will use it for bad. Does that mean money's bad? No, the sin is with us. It's how we use it and what we do with it. It's our attitude. It's our affections. You can either take that money and you can help someone in need and love them or you can take that money and feed your selfish desires and look after yourself as a Christian. But as a non-Christian, as a Christian, if the world is in us, and we love the world, it's going to show up in our relation first to God, to His church, and to His people in the church. That's why He cannot love the world and God. Some down the line, something gets broken. We are a new creation, and we, are, and we should walk in newness of life. We have new eyes and should see the world with our new eyes. See the world and the snares of the devil. Jesus on the cross conquered the devil, sin, the flesh and the world. And it's amazing, in this passage, all of those things come up. It's a lot of times when, when we sin, we can blame Satan. Blame yourself. You, you in the flesh. You're responsible. We're responsible for our actions. We need to take ownership and responsibility of our lives. And we need to see do we love our Father as much as we say we do? Or do we love the world and all the things in the world? Do we follow the world's philosophies? Do we follow the sayings of our friends? And, and, and John is brilliant. He could have stopped at the end of verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then picked up at verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. No, in verse 16, he actually gives us some of the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, all of that is not from the Father, but it's from the world. It's from the prince of the world, the ruler of the world, Satan. And I'm quite sure that when John was thinking of those three things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, he was thinking of one or two specific people, Adam and Eve. Because they exactly 
It did that. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life caused Adam and Eve to sin. And we'll see that when we get to these three things. And I've, I've spent some time just trying to flesh them out because it's so easy for us to brush over and just say something short on the desires of the flesh and something short on the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, which is the most serious one out of all of them. But if you look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, when we, where we have the serpent who's more crafty than any other beast, and how he comes to Eve, and he said to the woman, did not God actually say, and he's very crafty, did God, didn't God, sorry, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And you know that that's not in Genesis chapter 3. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her. And he ate. What happened in the garden was not from God, it was from the world. It was from Satan, the serpent, the devil. And the same devil and the same serpent wants to do the same thing to our Christian lives. He's going to bring things in front of us that stir up the desires of the flesh. He's going to put things in front of our eyes to stir up the desires of the eyes. And he's going to cause us to boast about things that we do, pride of life. Because what happened in the Garden of Eden was not from the Father. I've got to be careful here because God is sovereign. God allowed it. But he was indirectly involved, not directly involved. There's no sin in God. You must remember that. God does allow things to happen, but he is not the one that is involved because there is no sin in God. So let's just look at one of these things the desire of the flesh. Why did he say. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh. Because the desires of the flesh start with in. The desires of the eyes are what you see outside there that come in. The desire of the flesh starts in the flesh, within the body. Now the desire can be positive. I desire to be more godly in my Christian walk. I desire to come to church more often. A desire to do things in a way that honor God. But here in this verse, it's used in a negative sense. Another Bible translates it as a craving for physical pleasure. 
And we live in a world where all we want is leisure and pleasure and work less and play more. In fact, God has only given us one day to rest and enjoy. The rest is work. But we want to work one day and play and rest and do nothing for six days. That's what some of these worldviews are doing out there. They are damaging the attitude of work. God has created us to work, and we work heartily as unto the Lord, knowing our reward comes from Him and not from man. That is what gets us to work hard. God worked six days, and on the seventh day, He rested. It's a holy day, it's the Sabbath, which we call a Sunday. And when John says here, in, in this verse, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, what he's doing is he's commanding us to not love the world, that is where selfish craving is pursued and praised. John is not saying we cannot have any pleasure. John is not saying we cannot go on holiday. When you're on holiday, enjoy it. There is good leisure and pleasure when you're on holiday. It's not making a, a fun out of us and saying we can't enjoy the world to a certain degree. Paul writes to Timothy and says he's, you make money so you can buy things and enjoy them within reason. But also be content with what you have. But if we look at things for our own pleasure, my pleasure, and not God's glory as the main pursuit of life, we have a problem. If I desire this and I desire that, and in it I don't desire God, there's a problem with that. You can't fool God. We can, we can say things, we can say things that make us look good and strong Christians, we can dress the way, we can talk away. At the end of the day, God sees the heart. And He's always looking at the heart. So we, we've got to be careful here. We can always sometimes make out that we don't love the world and the things in the world, but maybe we do. And I think we do as Christians, are very much um, cleaving to this world like in marriage before husband and wife they should leave the home and not cleave to mom and dad and I think we still cleave to this world someone said the lust of the flesh is that pleasure with which I desire to indulge my flesh such as adultery, fornication, gluttony, ease and sleep I think food is, is a big problem before our eyes, which we can look at later. But I think when we are struggling or hurting, sometimes the desire of the flesh says, oh, I crave something. Because we go to food to comfort ourselves, to medicate the problem away. And we can get caught up in gluttony. 
Where God says, I'm the God of all comfort. Why are you looking at food to find comfort? Why are you looking at buying things to find comfort? Why aren't you coming to me where I can get to the root cause of your problem in your heart and I can comfort you and help you work through the situation? The problem with the, the, the desires of the flesh is they become selfish and the wrong focus is on that desire. You can see, touch and feel things like food, drink, leisure, sex, rest, enjoyment, comfort, anything that appeals to how you feel in the body. And when the desires of the flesh body take over, what does it do? It disregards God's word commandments. We need to always be in the scriptures so that we can do what Paul says when he writes to the church of Galatia. He writes to the Galatians. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Why? Because you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We need to be in the Scriptures so we can walk by the Scriptures so we may not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And he gives a list there. And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live, live by the Spirit. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And we do this because we still are loving the world. The desires of the flesh are still with us. And how do we overcome the desire of the flesh? Well, I've told you, we need to be in the Scriptures, but we need to do what Paul says to the Church of Rome, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Food, things you buy, things you want to try and make you feel happy and joyful and comfort you, will not do this to you. They will not take away that desire. Only the Lord Jesus can take away the desires you desire. It's a spiritual battle. It comes from within. And we need God's Word to help us. I need God's Word to help me. Sometimes it would be lovely if you inherit a lot of money and you can just go park off on an island and enjoy the rest of life. But what, what, what would that do? What would that bring? There's no meaning in that. But it's, isn't that what we crave for? That we wish we could inherit a lot of money and we can just sit back and we don't have to work again. Goodbye. Mona and I have always chatted. We can go buy a lacquer beach house. And we just, every morning we can just go and walk up and down the beach and enjoy it when everybody else behind us is slaving away at work. But 
That is, that is the fallen nature. That, that is what we, we crave. And the more we crave these things, sadly, the more we push our Father out of our hearts. And eventually, we land up being more worldly than godly. We are spiritual creatures. We are children of God. And the only living God can satisfy our longing for life. That's why it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And I've got no more time to go on to the, the second thing, which our Lord willing I'll do next week, is the desires of the eyes. I want to spend some time on that. It's important. And then there's the pride of life, which is the worst out of the two. Pride is still our downfall in this world as Christians. And then we will get to our second thing that he warns us, and that is to do with what's happening to the world, where the world is going. Why chase after something when it's going to pass away? We're going to just disintegrate, burn up. It's amazing how we chase after like a, a new car and we love it. But then in 10 years time it's gone. We've got another one or whatever. Let us be warned by this passage, all of us. And we'll look more at it next week and maybe the following week as well. Do not love the world or the things in the world because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. God knows exactly what's in your heart. I don't. But God does. And his word warns us. His word is telling us. And I, I guarantee you, we, I could stop here and let's make one big circle and let's start talking about what are the things that he's talking about in the world that we can't love and we can love. And we will all disagree and agree on certain things. And we'll try and use subjectivism to downplay some of the things we love. But meanwhile, God doesn't love them or see them as loving. So let's remember what this world does to us when we love it, love it. Let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let us love our Father with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and then in return love our neighbour as ourselves. Today we love the world with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and in return we love our souls more than our neighbour. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this warning not to love the world or the things in the world. Thank you, John, that you were so bold and courageous in putting this down. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're there to help us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, but you're there also to help us to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked, loving you, Father, and not loving the things of the world. Help us to be more of help to the world. Help us to, help us to care more for the world and love the people in the world and help the people that need help, both Christian and non-Christian. Father, thank you now we can come to the cross where we can celebrate your son's death. Thank you for all that you've given to us, Father. We're without excuse. We have the Holy Spirit who's there to help us to walk in this life, honouring you, Father.
to be led by the Spirit and not by the desires of the flesh. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us. Have mercy upon us. I pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.